The Daily Rios, episode 367. It's another New Comics Wednesday. You know, that's just how the schedule kind of panned out uh, between last week and this week. Uh, you know, this is what happens when I have to play catch-up, but that's okay. So we're here again for another New Comics Wednesday for this week, taking a look at those comics being released the week of October 26th. Along with the recommendations for this week, I do have a few reviews in the second half of this episode uh, from books that shipped last week, October 19th. But first, let's start with the recommendations. First up, we have Prince of Cats, a hardcover from Image Comics by Ronald Wimberly for $24.99. You can get a digital version for $19.99. Now, this was originally released at Vertigo Comics in 2012, but Wimberly was apparently not happy with that initial release, and this is an updating. There are some slight changes, uh, some minor copy revisions, some design revisions, and the artist has taken time to hand-draw what he calls the onomatopoeia, which I love that. Um, So this is a hip-hop retelling of William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, but that has a focus on Tybalt, who is often referred to as the Prince of Cats. Uh, So it's a focus on Tybalt and his Capulet crew as they do battle nightly with the hated Montagues. It's set in a Blade Runner-esque version of Brooklyn, and it's a mix of urban drama, samurai action, and classic Shakespearean theater, all written in iambic pentameter. It's the B-side to Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, played at an 80s block party in a New York where underground sword dueling blossomed alongside hip-hop, punk, disco, and new wave. So this is a, a definitive printing, what Ronald is calling a definitive printing. This is something that I've been looking forward to, uh, especially when you think about Netflix's show, The Get Down. And um, now, obviously, this came out way before the get down, but it it, it kind of hits along the same themes of, um, you know, urban culture and poetry, um, you know, language. So I'm all about this and I love all the previews that I've seen in the show notes. I have a link to the book, but I also have a link to an interview with Ronald Wimberly to just, just to give you a little bit more of a background on the book. Um, I think if you have the money and you have any interest, pick this one up. Uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Along the lines of restoration, I guess you could say, we have from IDW, the Cerebus Cover Gallery. It's another hardcover. This one is $75, and it features Dave Sim and Gerhard and all 300 of his covers. They're all reproduced in an archival oversized hardcover, And many of the illustrations have been scanned from Sim's personal collection of original art. There are also some roughs, some color guides, sketches, and other historical images that chronicle the creative process for Cerebus. Now, again, in the show notes, I will link to the actual book from IDW, but there's also a website which has all of the covers as well featured on the website. So you can look at that. But I have to imagine that this IDW one, you know, since you're going into original art, you're going fairly deep into the creative process, which is kind of cool. Now, considering how much I talked about Mobius in the last New Comics Wednesday episode, uh, this was all concerning Electric Sublime 
and the concept of clear line art. I had to give this next one a nod. It's from Dark Horse. They are starting a library. It's Mobius Library, World of Adina hardcover. And this is in conjunction with Mobius Production in France. It's basically uh, bringing back to print uh, a book uh, or a story that hasn't been uh, seen in a long time. It's getting a deluxe hardcover treatment. It contains all five of the main chapters. And the story is Stell and Atan are interstellar repairmen, repairmen trying to find a lost space station and its crew. What they discover about the universe and themselves on the mythical paradise planet Adena changes their lives forever. I wonder if it's actually pronounced Edena. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, uh, Dark Horse starting a whole Mobius library. So this sounds like a great place to jump in. It's only $40.99. From DC Comics, we have the first issue of Vigilante Southland, which will be a six-issue miniseries. It's set in Los Angeles, and this new Vigilante series raises an old question while making it relevant to our times. When you witness bad things being done, how far would you go to set them right? It's written by Gary Phillips, who is a writer of the Ivan Monk series, and he had this to say in an interview. It's a politically tinged story that touches on a myriad of contemporary issues, such as gun violence, class struggle, and Black Lives Matter. The book also provides an opportunity to contemporize classic issues or tropes like the fight over water rights in Southern California. I'm very excited to show readers this character's reimagined for the 21st century. And it is a new person under the whole vigilante getup. It's drawn by Elena Casagrande of Suicide Risk, and the covers are by Mitch Jarrods. Now, hopefully I can talk about this over on The Tower, the New Teen Titans podcast, but uh, this is definitely something I'll be picking up. There's also the Wonder Woman 75th anniversary special. I'm a sucker for anniversary issues and compilations like this. Uh, $7.99. It has all new stories and standalone illustrations uh, from people like Raphael Albuquerque, Brian Azzarello, Cliff Chang, Renee DeLise, Brendan Fletcher, Adam Hughes, Carl Kershaw, Gail Simone, and many, many more. In the DC Rebirth corner, we have the first series, uh, first issue of Batman Beyond after the one-shot and the first issue of Teen Titans after their Rebirth one-shot. So both of those titles are now going to series. From Marvel, we have Doctor Strange, Sorcerer's Supreme, which I believe is a mini-series. Um, I think it's about maybe five issues. I can't remember. Uh, this is by Robbie Thompson and artist Javier Rodriguez with covers by Raphael Albuquerque. Uh, and it's a story about Doctor Strange uh, gathering up past, present, and future Sorcerers Supreme, featuring Merlin, the Ancient One, Wiccan, and more. Uh, this is $3.99, of course. And I just kind of like that hook of Doctor Strange gathering all these magicians, and I want to see who else they bring into the story. So I thought, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably try this out. Maybe I might even review this next time. Elsewhere in Marvel Now 2.0, we have Ms. Marvel number 12, which is the first issue of the Marvel Now theme for her book. And of course, Prowler number one, which is um, continuing the clone conspiracy event. All right, those are the recommendations. Short and sweet this week. Let's get to the reviews. 
The first review is going to be another Marvel Now title, and this is Infamous Iron Man number one. Now, if you haven't finished, well, I was going to say if you haven't finished Civil War 2, but Civil War 2 hasn't finished Civil War 2. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this issue takes place after the events of Civil War 2, and I don't think it's a surprise necessarily about what happens uh, to a certain character. If you're reading Infamous Iron Man, um, I believe if you're also, what other book came out this week? Um, oh, there's something else that came out this week that might even spoil some of what's going to happen in Civil War, Civil War Two. But uh, anyway, I mean, this is a review. You know, I go in depth, so um, you know, I'm bound to talk about things that you may or may not want to hear. But anyway, Infamous Iron Man Number One. I have to say, I I dug it. I I dug it. I am curious to read more. Um. It's not necessarily a resetting of anything, but the whole concept of infamous Iron Man is taking a page from Superior Spider-Man, where a villain takes over the heroic identity of the title of the book. And in this case, it's Dr. Doom, or I should say Victor Von Doom, taking the identity and the role of Iron Man, and not only just in name and appearance, but in attitude as well. Apparently, as it says in the book, um, he wants to make up for everything that he's done, and he figures the best way to do that is to become the new Iron Man. And he's designed, uh, it's like a cross between Iron Man and Doctor Doom. Uh, it's a gray armor, which is a flashback to Iron Man's very first armor in his first appearance. And these two characters have had, you know, a history together. One of the earliest comics that I own from the Iron Man title is Iron Man, is it 150, I think, where uh, Dr. Doom and Tony Stark go back to the time of King Arthur. And I'm fairly certain Bob Layton has his, you know, either he wrote it, draw it uh, drew it, or did one or both, I can't remember. Um, I always like the ending of that story when uh, they had to go back to their own time. So Dr. Doom and Iron Man take pieces of their ar respective armors and come up with a time machine. And there's some thought bubbles that happen. Uh, Tony Stark will talk about Dr. Doom's armor. Dr. Doom will talk about the inventiveness of Tony Stark's brain, or I should say Iron Man's brain, because I don't think he knew that he was Tony Stark at the time. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they have a history together. So this kind of makes sense. This is by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Malieve. The color artist is Matt Hollingsworth. It opens with a flashback to the time of the Cabal, which was Dr. Doom, the female Loki, the Hood, Prince Namor, and Emma Frost. And they are waiting for whoever the sixth member is, Norman Osborn, that's right. And it opens up, and the Hood is kind of, you know, He's being a nudge to Dr. Doom and saying, hey, I heard this story that at one time you bested a demon for the spirit of your deceased mother. Is that true? Everyone else is kind of saying, Hood, you should really calm down. And it's Hood trying to find out just how powerful Dr. Doom is. And then Dr. Doom sends the Hood away. Uh, and then we flash forward to the present time and Dr. Doom Say, or I should say, again, Victor Von Doom, because he's no longer in his armor, he saves Maria Hill from 
uh, Diablo, the Fantastic Four villain, Diablo. And then he goes and visits this supporting cast member known as Amara Pereira. I don't know if she's shown up elsewhere. I'm not familiar with the character. And he says to her that he's been thinking about what she's been saying. And this is where he gets the notion of, look, you know, as spectacularly uh, menacing as I was as a villain, I have to do the equal and and just be as, um, you know, just in the same fashion, I have to be just as good. And that kind of throws her for a loop. I think she thinks that he was going to threaten her. And he gets this idea that, you know what, I have to be Iron Man. I have to make up for what I did. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be that benevolent. Um, I don't know how we're supposed to feel about a Doom that is trying to make good. Sort of think of like Magneto when he went good over at DC, uh, Lex Luthor being in the Justice League and being a Superman to the Metropolis City, uh, and of course Superior Spider-Man with Doc Ock. There has to be an underlying um, tension that goes on. It's not going to be a complete conversion, but there's something interesting. And then there's a cameo appearance by Ben Grimm, who is now working with S.H.I.E.L.D. and is on the trail of Von Doom. Um, And we also get an appearance of Tony Stark, uh, but not quite Tony Stark. So if you read it, you'll understand what I mean by that. I had a couple questions. I had a question about how how exactly is he putting on his armor? Is it within him? Is it magic? Is it some kind of science? Uh, It didn't look like he was stepping into the armor. It looked like it was growing on him, much like the way Tony Stark used to do with his armor. So I don't know what that's about. It'll be interesting to see how the rest of the Marvel Universe handles a Doctor Doom like this. Uh, And then when you have Doctor Doom and Ben Grimm, is it going to play around with, and Diablo, is it going to play around with uh, some Fantastic Four elements? So a lot of questions here. Artwork was decent. I'm not usually the biggest fan of Alex Maleev, um, but it's not as shadowy. It's not as static as I've seen it before. Certainly the color artist, uh, Matt Hollingsworth, um, you know, he deserves definitely a lot of the accolades of, of the artwork because uh, it could feel could feel kind of empty and very flat without it. So all in all, pretty good. It's called The Rise of Doom. There's an Esad Ribic variant cover that is especially good. Is it worth $3.99? I don't think so. It's a little quick in its reading. It's a little... I sort of feel like there's not much more you learn from this issue outside of maybe just reading a solicitation, which is kind of a bad thing. But there's a tone, there's a quality, there's uh, an overbearing presence uh, of... um, curiosity to what he's going to do. I'm not the biggest Dr. Doom fan. It's not like I, it's not like I don't like him. I just, you know, but this concept, um, that Marvel has played around with a couple of times now, uh, I'm in it. I'm in it. I, I, for a Marvel now 2.0 book, this is exactly the type of title that they should be putting out. So that's my recommendation or that's my review on infamous Iron Man number one. And lastly, I'm going to talk about cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Number one, from DC's Young Animal Imprint. This is by Jonathan Rivera, Gerard Way, artist Michael Avon Oming, and Nick Filardi. This is a great book. It's so much fun. I am completely surprised that this is the one that I would enjoy the most out of um, the other titles. When I just, 
first of all, the reason I, I really wanted to talk about it is because I wasn't aware that there was a backup tale by uh, Tom Scioli. And uh, it's a backup tale uh, where he's starting his superpowers story. And this one features the Wonder Twins of Zan and Jaina. It also has the Joker. It has Commissioner Gordon. Gordon. It has Batgirl. It's everything that I loved about that really crazy Jack Kirby, Paul Kupperberg, and whoever else worked on the early 80s Superpowers miniseries from DC, where they just throw all these characters together, whether they make sense or not. Really, Superpowers from DC in the early 80s, that's the one that feels like um, the counterpart to that is Secret Wars, because it was they're both based on toy lines, um, more or less, and all the characters are at their most primal in the way that they're depicted. Um, and, you know, everybody wants to say that Secret Wars and Crisis are the ones that um, are kind of like contemporaries. But for me, it's really superpowers and Secret Wars. So Tom Scioli doing a backup. Um, it's It looks great. It looks like it was drawn on the back of a sketch pad. Um, the, the page coloring is not white. It's more of like an off uh, tan so, and it's giving a little bit of a backstory to the Wonder Twins. Uh, and it's only what, I think it was about three or four pages. It wasn't long at all. So anyway, so the backup tale, number one, was great. And then the primary tale of Cave Carson also was a lot of fun. Now, I took Gerard Way to task last episode because I said he was given a DC encyclopedia. And, you know, I felt like he could have used a lot uh, of DC's obscure characters, well, he's definitely done his research here with Cave Carson. It's not like the characters are necessarily obscure, but we have Will Magnus, we have the Metal Men, we have Wild Dog, who really hasn't been around, you know, I, I think the pre-Flashpoint uh, Wild Dog was in, the last time we saw him was 2008. He may have made an appearance in, two, in, in the New 52, but I don't know. Uh, and yeah, he's in Arrow right now. So there, I can't tell if this is, you know, DC saying we got to throw him in because of our arrow, or is it really just synergy? Is it just something that happened? But it kind of makes sense because Wild Dog, you could say he is a forgotten hero, and that's a team that uh, Cave Carson used to belong to. So they're not playing with that team here, but it kind of makes sense. So anyway, um, first, the cover is great. The title logo is modeled after the old Showcase or Brave and the Bold logos with uh, Cave Carson Adventures Inside Earth. It's all designed the same. And if you know the first issue cover, uh, they in the background of the cover, they have images from previous Cave Carson Silver Age uh, stories. One of them is from Brave and the Bold 32 from 1960, the city 100 miles down. And the other one is from Brave and the Bold 41 of, from 1962, the raiders from the secret world. So they're actually using historical images for the Cave Carson concept. Um, he's having hallucinations. His wife has just died, leaving behind uh, Cave Carson and his daughter Chloe. Um, and he's starting to have hallucinations because of his cybernetic eye, and he goes to Will Magnus to figure out what's going on. And Will says something curious. He says he can't recognize the metal or the mineral, but it seems familiar. So I don't know how they're going to play up on that mystery. Uh, in the background story that's going on, you can tell that there's going to be a new, younger team 
of Inside Earth Adventurers that Cave probably will become the leader of. He has he has a longing, now that his wife has died and his daughter is in college, he has a longing for something more. And, uh, you know, the backup... Um, the backup text page by Gerard Way talks about uh, Cave Carson um, and and also Shade the Changing Girl um, leaving their home. And in Cave's case, he's going to leave the home world that he knows of Upper Earth and go inside Earth again. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that are happening, a lot of background things that are happening in this story that, that will eventually come out. Uh, as a first issue, I thought it gave much more than... Some first issues give. It has a very nice pacing to it. It's quirky. The Michael Avon Oming fits great. Oming is, you know, to my eye, he fits in the world of the art school of like Darwin Cook. He's not so um, iconic in the way that he draws certain things, but I really appreciate the way that he breaks away from traditional panel work and traditional page layout. And you need to do do that with a book that's this that that is this quirky. There's also a whole bunch of who's who dots all over the place that I really like. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then at the end, um, Cave Carson gets a visit from a member of uh, a race called the Muldrugans, which I believe his wife was a member of, um, and it just furthers the mystery and and that's why he calls on Wild Dog to uh, help him out with this case. So. You know, I, I dig it. I really dig this. And um, I looked up that there's a backup tale in Shade the Changing Girl by Gilbert and Natalia Hernandez featuring Krill of the Space, Ra- Space Ranger comics. And it makes me wonder if they'll do any fun backups for Mother Panic or Doom Patrol in the future. So this young animal imprint is really delivering. I'm, I'm, enjoying, uh, I'm enjoying everything I've seen so far. Okay, that's it. That's it for today's episode and for the reviews. Let me know if you read any of those two issues or leave a comment on the website or send me an email, peter at thedailyrios.com. This has been the Daily Rios episode 367. Talk to you soon. Bye.